Welcome to the Georgetown Baptist Church Sermon Podcast, where we share sermons from our most recent worship services. To learn more about GBC, please visit us online at georgetownbaptist.org. So, the tallest mountain in Europe is Mount Wall. And uh, for several years, this was... Well, it still is a picture of Mount Blanc, but for several years, this was the largest picture in the world. I wasn't able to fully express on one TV screen the whole picture because it is a 360-degree panorama that was stitched together from 70,000 high-resolution images for 23 photographers that spent three weeks doing it. I uh, put out this one little section because I want you to see, can you see the little speck right there under the mountain on the left that kind of looks like there's a fly on the TV screen or the, you see what I'm saying? That is a 20-person gondola on a string that is taking people up, just so that you have a sense of the size. If it, the, the, uh, the size of this file is 365 gigapixels, which if you had the very best iPhone camera and you uh, were using that, you would need over 7,000 of those to create this picture. They asked the photographer, uh, why? Why did you, why'd you do this? Why'd you spend three weeks and this whole team, and untold amounts of money getting this picture. And what he said was, every time that I've ever come to this mountain, I've always taken a picture. And every time that I look at the picture, it feels less than. It doesn't feel enough. It doesn't express the glory and the power and the majesty of this mountain. And I thought that if I could put together the best team and make the biggest picture in the world, I could somehow express the power and the, the goodness of this. And the interviewer said, do you think you did it? And he said, no, I'm starting to think I never will be able to capture all of the glory that is this mount. But what I wanted to do was just magnify it as much as I could. We are continuing our series uh, that we're calling Songs of Christmas. And uh, two weeks ago, we talked about Zachariah, who's John the Baptist's dad. Zachariah had been given the privilege of going to Jerusalem, to the temple. He was in charge in the temple. This was like his Super Bowl. And as he's in the midst of leading worship in the temple, In Jerusalem, an angel appears to him and says, Zechariah, great news. You and your wife Elizabeth are going to have a baby. Now, Zechariah had been praying for decades for a baby. And over and over again, Elizabeth had not gotten pregnant. And even with the angel of the Lord, Gabriel, standing right there saying it to him, What Zachariah said back was, I know how this song goes. I know the lyrics of this song. I've prayed and prayed and tried and prayed. I I know how this goes. Don't get my hopes up again. And we talked about how when you think you know how it's going to go and you've already decided the future, you miss 
the new thing that God is doing. And then last week, we talked about Simeon. And we talked about how when baby Jesus, eight-day-old baby Jesus, is walked into the temple, Simeon rushes up and meets Mary and Joseph and grabs the baby, holds him up, bursts into song, and says, Now, God, I can die because you have shown me your Messiah just like you said you would. Hands the baby back and says to Mary, By the way, this baby's going to cause a lot of trouble and a lot of trouble for you too. Weirdest baby dedication ever. But... Part of, what, part of what Simeon was doing was waiting because as the Scripture tells us, the Holy Spirit told him that he was going to see the Messiah before he died. And then the Holy Spirit said, go now, today, he's there. And so he waited until the Spirit said go, and once the Spirit said go, he moved. So we talked last week about how the song that that God is writing, this new song God is writing with Christmas, is a song that's going to require us to pay attention to the director. And if we're going to sing along, we have to be ready to move when God says move, and we have to be ready to rest when God says rest. But today, today we come to Mary. And now when we talk about Mary, there's all kinds of things that people bring, all kinds of different ideas, the different... Christian denominations bring, and I'll, I'll lay my cards on the table up front. Uh, for some, Mary is venerated up to where she was, was basically perfect. And for me, I, I don't need Mary to be perfect. In fact, I don't see anywhere where Mary would be perfect. It is much more powerful that God shows up to this normal young woman in the middle of nowhere. And a few verses before our scripture today says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The same Gabriel, the same angel that talked to Zacharias, says to her, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And my guess is Mary went, Who? Who Who are you? Is there someone behind me? Who are you talking about? Because she was a nobody from a nowhere who had done nothing. There's nothing highly favored about her But what we see is that God is the one that brings the favor. And God is the one who points and says, I am doing a new thing. And where Zacharias said, prove it to me. Mary says, I believe you. I just don't know what part I'm supposed to play in this. And the angel says, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you and you will give birth to a son. You'll name him Jesus and he will be the Messiah. She is so overwhelmed by this news that immediately she rushes to go see Elizabeth, Zachariah's wife Elizabeth. And Zachariah's wife Elizabeth, who is pregnant with John the Baptist, when she sees Mary, John the Baptist jumps for joy in Elizabeth's womb. And Elizabeth goes, I can't believe you're here. I can't believe how blessed I am that the mother of our Lord is here. And after the, after the visit from the angel, after the interaction with Elizabeth, Mary sings this song. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of his humble state of his servant, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things, holy is his name. Now, what's remarkable about this right here and right now is we know how the story goes. We know that she's right. We, we understand. You know, she gets, uh, she gets a place in everybody's nativity. She's, she's an important, you know, a key element to this story. 
But at this moment, at this time, she has been given the instruction. Now, she doesn't have any reason to believe anybody else received this message from the angel. Elizabeth knows, and she knows. But once she starts getting pregnant, what is everybody in town going to think? They may not have had people who had pearls to be pearl clutchers at that time, but whatever the equivalent was of people who were going to go, oh, did you see Mary? Mm. And somebody somewhere is going to ask a question, and it's going to be a passive-aggressive kind of, so, Mary, what you been up to? And there's going to be so much weight behind it of, what is wrong with you? How could you be so awful to do this to Joseph? And Mary's response is going to be, I did nothing wrong. In fact, I am highly favored and blessed because the Holy Spirit came upon me. And people being people, can't you imagine that person going, you're going to need to come up with something better next time because that's, that's pretty weak. That I don't even know what that means. But here, in this moment, not knowing what's going to happen, not knowing but guessing all the scorn that she's going to get and all the people who are going to assume bad motives and bad actions, she says, I am blessed beyond belief because God is at work and God is using me to do what God is doing. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped His servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as He said to our fathers, now, I, I don't want you to have in your mind this picture of Mary like sitting with her sparkly pen and notebook right, trying to write and get the perfect line and scratching through and doing this. That's not what's happening here. She's not just coming up with these ideas out of whole cloth. What, what this is, is this is just chock full, verse after verse after verse, with allusions to the Old Testament. In fact, one scholar says that he can count 35 allusions to the Old Testament in Mary's song. So what Mary is doing is not just coming up with this song that talks about her feelings, but what Mary is doing is understanding that she has been invited into something bigger. She has been invited into this story that God is doing, but God didn't start right here. All throughout Scripture is the story of God seeking after His people, of God refusing to let us go even when we screw up time and time and time again. We set it all on fire, and God's the one who puts the fire out and helps us start rebuilding. That is what happens. And so what Mary does is she goes, I am so blessed because I get to be a part of this big story of what God is doing. And when I think about that, I think about the very first verse. My soul magnifies the Lord. When we magnify something, what we're trying to do is take something which may be blurry or, or in, indescript or something that we don't have a clear picture of, and we are trying to blow it up so that when we look at it, we see the fine details of it. We see the nuances and understand it in a richer, deeper, better way than we could before. When you look at, when you use a microscope and, you know, in like whatever, middle school, elementary school kind of microscope kind of stuff, and you drop the water on the little thing and you go, it's just water, and then you look and see all the gross stuff in the water and think about what you just drank uh, the, you know, period before. And so like, 
that, that idea of all of the stuff that is going on that is happening because of the magnification, you are able to see it more clearly. What Mary is doing is understanding that her role, what the invitation she's been given, is to magnify God so that when people look at her, they can see God and God's purpose more clearly. And when I think about that, I can't help but wonder if that's what God has for us, too. If part of the responsibility and invitation that we have been given as followers of Christ have been to be people who magnify God. Of when, they, when people come into contact with us, they can't help but see God more clearly. They can't help but be drawn in more fully to the story that God has for each and every one of us. We, we understand this, I think, in sort of an innate way. There are people that you hang around that after you hang around with them, you are just uh, worse. <laughs> you are depressed and you are down or you are angry. These people are magnifying this. And, you know, it's, it's one of those examples of, like, if they won the lottery, they'd be complaining about the taxes of it. You know, that kind of thing of, like, oh, well, it's, you know, it's only $27 million. I mean, ugh, what's even the point? That sense of when the people that you are around, each one of them is magnifying something. But as Christians, we have the opportunity to magnify God. For people who may be far away, who maybe don't understand the nuance, who maybe have had a wrong picture of what God is, when they see us, they can see detail, they can see beauty, they can see love in a way that maybe they haven't experienced before. But it's not enough. It's not enough for me to just say, you should magnify God. I mean, that's kind of like the preacher and we kind of, I tell a little fun story and then we pray and land it and you go home. But on the way home, you're like, what, what does that even mean? And you go, I don't, I don't know. You magnify God. I'll, I'll going to go get lunch. But what does it actually look like and mean to magnify God? Because I, I need that. I need to think about how does this change Monday if I'm actually trying to magnify God in my life? Well, the first thing that I think about is, you know, with microscopes or telescopes or anything, you have to be careful about what you're focused on. If you want your brand new telescope to see details of the moon, it can't be aimed at the ground. So as simple as it sounds, the first thing we have to do is aim our life to God. We have to be aimed toward God. We have to be seeking God in what we are doing in our everyday lives. We have to be Move, even if all it is is aimed that way. God, I don't know how to do this. I don't know what sort of Bible study I need to do. I barely understand how to pray. I'm, I don't feel like I have a clue. God loves that kind of prayer because what you are doing is aiming your life to God. And I guarantee you, God will put people, resources, things in your life that will help you. But the first thing we have to do is make sure that we are aimed toward God. The, one of the biggest telescopes in the world is at the Keck Observatory in Hawaii. And uh, telescopes, now buckle up, because preacher guy's going to start doing science on you. So uh, telescopes all work basically the same kind of way, with lenses and refraction and gathering light and all of that stuff. But in order to make one lens work for the Keck Observatory, the uh, piece of glass that would be used to make the lens would have to be the size of a pickup truck. 
And uh, that's not really possible in terms of uh, it staying in one piece. So they use multiple different, uh, multiple different pieces of glass that make up the lens. But then how do you know the thing you're looking at way up in the sky, way far away, how do you know that it actually looks like that? Well, they've got a pretty ingenious way that they figured out how to make sure that it's calibrated correctly. Because what they do at the Keck Observatory is they shoot lasers up at the sky. And they just destroy any star that doesn't look right. No, they, they, um, they shoot lasers up in the sky and they create a standard star. So, they look over here at the standard star, and then they look over here at whatever they're looking at. And they look over here at the standard star, and they make sure that the readings that they're getting and what the star looks like is exactly what it's supposed to be. And if it's not, they adjust, because they know if this is wrong, then this is going to be wrong. Based on what you are looking at, the standard you're using is how you judge everything else. So the, the standard that you're using matters. So if our lives are going to magnify God, we better make sure that the standard we're using matters. And the way Scripture gives us, it gives us a standard, because even Scripture says to us, if you want to know what God is like, what do you do? You look at Jesus. You see what Jesus did. You read his teachings. You learn more about him, and you follow what he said to do. What's the standard for us? The standard is Jesus. It's not some Yahoo with a bunch of uh, titles in front of his name. It's not uh, anything else. It is Jesus as the standard that we use. And so when you are examining and figuring out, does this thing look like something that magnifies God in my life? What you do is you hold it up to Jesus. So when you are tempted to think that God holds petty grudges and is ready to zap you because you screwed up, you hold that up to Jesus and go, wait, that's not right. I need to adjust that. When you think that God cares uh, more about these other things than, than about people, when you have decided that, that God is vindictive and angry and ready to just destroy and wipe everybody out, you look at Jesus, at the one on the cross who, as they are actively killing him, Jesus says, Father, I need you to forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. How do we make sure we are ac accurately magnifying Jesus in our life? Well, we have to aim at God with our lives, but then we have to hold up the standard of Jesus. And are the things that we're doing, the things that we're saying, the way that we're living, does it reflect and does it fit with who Jesus is and what Jesus has called us to be? And the third thing, that I think helps us best magnify is that we do it with joy. Now, uh, this, you're going to hear this a lot from me whenever we talk about joy. Our world has smushed together joy and happiness to the same thing, right? I got, uh, you know, I ate a donut this morning and it was pure joy because I ate the donut. But that's, that's not true. I had happiness because I ate the donut until the donut ended and then I was sad. But then there was another donut and I was happy again, but then I was sad because I finished the second donut. And then I was tempted to eat a third, no, but <laughs> happiness focuses in. Happiness is intense, emotional, uh, but quick 
quick, uh, quick there and quick gone, right? You can have the happiest day in the world until you get in the car and some Yahoo cuts you off, right? Joy is different. Joy is this quieter thing that fills us, and when it fills us, it doesn't turn us in. Here's the thing, joy turns us out and makes us want to share it with other people. Um, you've probably run across a brand new grandparent who you're about three nanoseconds into the conversation with them before a phone is being shoved in your face and baby pictures are being shown, and you don't even know what's happening yet, right? Why, why is that happening? Because what joy does, joy is connection. And joy draws us to connect others in. We can't help but share it. When we are truly experiencing joy, we want others to be a part of it. What happens when Mary gets done with the angel? What's the very first thing she does? She runs to go talk to Elizabeth. Their joy draws them together. So what does it mean to live as people of joy? It doesn't mean we're singing and whistling our happy song all day long. Life is still life. Difficulties are still difficulties. Insurance is still insurance. Taxes are still taxes. People are still people. There will be moments that you're irritated. There will be moments that you're more than irritated. But joy is the thing that God gives us that draws us in and builds the connections so that when we see each other and when we have this moment where they are playing and singing like they always do and it's always so freaking good and every part of it is beautiful and we together are singing this song, there is this beautiful moment of joy. It's not happiness. It is this shared, collective, God is good. And God has brought us to this place in this moment right now. And it doesn't change the rest of the problems, but it does because we're doing them together instead of alone. We aim our lives at God. We use the standard of Jesus and we cultivate in every possible way we can joy. And that then changes us to be the kind of people that when others run into us, they go, wait, that picture of Jesus that you have is clearer than I've ever seen. That picture of Jesus you have is different from what I see others. That picture of Jesus you have is different from the church I grew up in. How is that Jesus real? Mary was invited into God's big story. You are too. We are invited in to magnify God. We are invited in to what God is doing, overturning all of those who think that they win in this life. God is the one who will bring the, bring the humble elevated and will push down the proud. God is the one who takes those who think they have all the power and therefore have all the value, and God brings them low. And God takes a nobody from nowhere, who has done nothing, and says, you are highly blessed. Not because she's some sort of hidden talent that no one had found yet, but because God's the one who does the blessing. And there is no better place to be than being right in the center of God's story for the world. This is the invitation. Who will you and what will you magnify with your life? Will we be like Mary? Would you pray with me?
God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for all that you have done and continue to do. We pray, God, that you will shape our hearts and our lives to better magnify you. May our souls rejoice in you, God, and may we be transformed by your love and your grace, your mercy and your power. May we live joyful lives that point others to you. We praise you, we love you, we thank you. And we ask all of this in the powerful name of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.